0: Hello and welcome back to the God's Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by Rito, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand, for another look at Mark's Gospel. Rito, hi. Welcome back to the show.
1: How are you today, Brent?
0: Well, I'm all right. I'm bearing up. Our circumstances have been somewhat trying since we last met.
1: That's hard to hear, isn't
0: it? It is hard to hear, but we're doing all right, and you're doing all right, your family are okay? Yep, everyone's doing well. Oh, that's very good. Okay, well, we're back to Mark chapter 4, and uh, we're looking at, we're well, not back to Mark 4, we're starting looking at Mark chapter 4, and today we're looking at verses 1 to 34. Well, what have we learnt so far about the Lord Jesus in Mark's Gospel, Ian? Well, I think the big
1: thing that we're seeing is that he is the Christ. You know, that's the thing Mark wants to show us. Right from the beginning of the, his book, he wants to show us that he is the Son of God. That's the, that's the kind of the key thing. And we've slowly been seeing that. We, we see it with, Mark's told us, we, we have got the Father kind of breaking in at Jesus' baptism and saying, this is my Son whom I love. You've got the, the demons saying, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And so there's this building kind of uh, thing going on of, who is this guy? we've been told by Mark and others outside of the story who he is, and we're kind of discovering it for ourselves.
0: Yeah, how, how have we seen opposition, though, growing to the Lord Jesus in the gospel so far?
1: Well, there seems to be this kind of demonic opposition, kind of sitting around there. You have Jesus going off into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan. And then Mark is very has a lot of uh, kind of demon possession, and stuff like that, where uh, particularly Luke, I don't think Luke has any of that, but Mark is, is really steeped in it. And there seems to be this kind of growing tension uh, with uh, kind of Jesus and uh, the kind of the the spiritual realm, at least the the demonic realm. But then also you have you know just a couple of chapters ago, when Jesus goes into a synagogue and heals a man, and what happens there, you see the Herodians and the Pharisees gathering together to plot to kill Jesus. So right from the beginning of of the gospel, we've seen people wanting to come and kill Jesus for who, for kind of who he is or what he stands for.
0: Yes, and the the main opposition seems to come from the religious leaders.
1: Which is interesting, isn't it? And that's kind of a big theme that runs right through Mark, right to the end, is that it's the religious elite that Jesus kind of comes and speaks against, and it's kind of the the people who are just kind of the normal average people aren't really opposed to Jesus. They're kind of, I guess, wondering who he is, but it's the religious elite that that have a big problem with him.
0: Mm -hmm. And the opposition continues to grow in the gospel as the drama builds and the tension builds. Well, today, um, Ian, we find three parables about the kingdom of God. Now, I suppose you were to ask the question, first off, what is a parable?
1: When I was young, I was always told a parable was a... Is an earthly story with a heaven, heavenly meaning oh, okay. did, you, did you ever hear that one yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah I don't know if that's true or not but but it's kind of a you know it's 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 kind of a like a metaphor isn't it that we're given a, a picture of something usually around what the kingdom of God is like uh, and it's interesting though that Jesus says that he tells parables so that people will not understand what the kingdom of God is like. It's weird, isn't it?
0: Yes, that's totally ironic, isn't it? People say Jesus was a great communicator, and indeed the Lord Jesus was a great communicator, but he communicated, it would seem, in this instance, so that some people at least wouldn't understand what he was saying.
1: So people say, you know, it's a a, a dumbed-down version of a story to help us you know, kind of of the kingdom of God to help us understand. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not. It's actually a way of excluding people who aren't inside the kingdom at all. Uh, and, and, but really, what it is, at, at the heart of it, is a metaphor. It's a picture of something about God's
0: kingdom. Mm, that's right. And they are brilliant parables. These are, these are brilliant illustrations that Jesus uses. Yeah. And so Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 20, I shall read. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. That's, that's an interesting detail. Why are we told that, I wonder? Yeah. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, a sow went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Here's the quote. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold okay now ian who is the farmer and what is the seed in this parable
1: well it's probably up for a little bit of debate but um i would say that the farmer probably is the father uh, and the seed is is god's word it actually says there in verse 14 the farmer sows the word so whether it's jesus or the father kind of doing the sowing it's Bit, a little bit unclear, but it's God, you know, kind of there, isn't it?
0: Mm. Well, the nature of the Trinity means that they're both included in it. So, yeah, definitely. One assumes. What are the four different effects that Jesus' coming has on people? Verse fifteen, there.
1: This, I think this is an interesting thing. We talk. We, we call this the parable of the soil, but it probably should be called the parable of the soils because they're the main focus, aren't they? And you have these. You have these four different effects. Uh, so, um, so, <laughs> so, so someone's so along the 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 path, and what's the effect? Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them when they hear it. Sixteen, you've got uh, rocky places. They hear the word and they receive it with joy, but it hasn't, doesn't have any root and It's taken away when, when um, trouble and persecution comes. Then eighteen, you, you've got seed among the thorns. And, and again, there's kind of you know, growth there. But then you have the deceitfulness of wealth and kind of things choking out that, that word because becomes unfruitful now it doesn't say i think it's interesting that it doesn't say that it gets snatched away or dies but it just becomes unfruitful mm. and then in 20 the last one is kind of the the ideal one where it gets sown kind of where it's meant to be sown in the in the good soil and there it not only kind of grows up but it also produces something as well mm.
0: who are the people who are hardened there in verse 15 and how do they respond to jesus do you want me to point particular people out there <laughs> not particular people but you know who is he talking about
1: no, i think i think particularly in the context of mark it is probably those religious leaders you know kind of the the people who think that they don't need god and they don't need jesus and it is those people who are hardened by it by their own self-righteousness so i think in particular you're kind of around that and that that doesn't only is not only kind of for the religious leaders and and, and religious people there's lots of different people who, who find ways to be self-righteous don't they
0: mm. what happens to the rocky place people in verse 16
1: there well you know they hear it and it says they, they receive it with joy but there's no root it kind of doesn't dig down at all does it and so that it only lasts for a short time it says there when trouble or persecution comes because of the word they quickly fall away so there's this sense of receiving it uh, and you know kind of it growing to some extent but then it just kind of being snatched away
0: what about the ones sown among thorns in verse 18?
1: I think this is the most interesting thing, that Jesus actually points out what the thing that chokes them out is, that the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. It's very interesting, isn't it? And we see that in all our own lives, that those types of things, deceitfulness of wealth and other things that kind of get in the way of serving Jesus become kind of things that just distract us and then pull us away and choke us from from the gospel kind of bearing fruit in us.
0: Mm. What about the ones sown on good soil there in verse 20? What does Jesus say about them? Well, they're
1: fruitful, and people often look at this and say uh, that they're they're fruitful in that they're making lots of converts or things like that. I don't necessarily think it's that. I think the fruitfulness is also internal as well, that there's kind of fruit grown within you as the word kind of does its thing in you, that the gospel kind of works its way out through your life, that there is fruit there.
0: We've talked in previous uh, podcasts on uh, the letter to the Hebrews about uh, salvation and the fact that we both believe the Bible teaches that we can't lose our salvation. But is Jesus suggesting in this parable that we can lose our salvation? Thanks for that question again,
1: <laughs> Brent. It's never an easy question to answer. It's, is n- it? it's not
0: an easy question. No, no,
1: no. I don't think it's saying that. And you know, people have looked at this kind of parable and said, "Hey, look, this is." But that's not Jesus' point at all. The point is not to say which soil are you, and, and you know, kind of the you get the minister or the you pass at the front saying you're this soil and you're that soil. You kind of because I don't, I don't necessarily. And the other thing that this often gets preached as is this kind of predestination kind of passage as well. You're that soil and I'm this soil. You know, kind of. I don't think that's not Jesus' point at all. The point is the effect of the word, uh, not not the. Oh yeah, kind of on the di- on different people, and it's not saying there's this predetermined type of soil that you are or not are. You know, many religious people have been convicted of the gospel and become good soil. You know, you kind of people who are hardened to the gospel, the gospel did its work and broke through. The point is the power of the gospel in people's lives.
0: Mm. How do we b- apply this parable today, Ian?
1: What is what does Jesus say? I, I would I just sorry. Well, I want to point out something in the verse 13 where Jesus says, do you not understand this parable. If I was standing there as one of the disciples I would have said you know the first time reading it you're like I don't understand it Jesus I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But you know how do we apply it? And, and it's like it's like any parable it's told for us to understand the, what the kingdom is like. This is what Jesus is doing. He's filling out the details of what the kingdom is like. And what is the kingdom like? It comes from God to us and has effect on us. It's not something that we work towards, but it's something that comes to us. And I think that's, that's the important thing kind of in this parable.
0: Yeah, coming back to those verses uh, 10 to 12, what does Jesus say about the purpose of the parables there? And in, in we, we touched upon it, but I want to, uh, to explore it a bit further because it does seem very strange to us that he would tell stories so that people wouldn't understand them. What's going on there?
1: Well, in verse 12, where is he quoting from? It's Isaiah, isn't it? I, th-
0: I think it's Isaiah, yeah.
1: And he's saying there, you know, that, that I'm saying these things so that you will not understand, which just seems so contrary to what we expect Jesus to be saying. But he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that you don't understand uh, and that you, you um, but others, they might turn and be forgiven. So it's kind of... These, this is the, the, the ones who I give the ears to hear. They're the ones who are going to hear it and kind of come into the kingdom and understand it. It's not what we would expect Jesus to say, but it is what it says there, uh, that these parables are for those people who are in the kingdom to help them understand what they've been brought into.
0: Are the parables then being given to parts of Israel for judgment? Definitely.
1: And that's definitely in Isaiah is that God is saying, basically, you've had enough. 've i've've 've had enough with you now is the time for judgment, and you know you are you are being in a, in a sense uh, parts of Israel being cut off because of your refusal to listen your refusal to hear Now there is coming a time when even when I do speak, I will not be speaking to you and you will refuse to
0: listen to me it's really frightening stuff isn't it okay mark four verses twenty one to twenty five and he said to, uh, wonderful stories to hear, but with a very, very um, dramatic and uh, sobering undercurrent to them, very much so. And he said to them, "'Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear.' And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Okay, again, sobering words. Who is the lamp there in verse 21, do you reckon?
1: Is it a person? Well, I guess it, it, it could be a person. Is it Jesus himself? You know, kind of, you know, kind of all the word, you know, kind of that whole idea of Jesus being the word there. As well, that it's just everything to do with the gospel and the kingdom of God.
0: Yes, and you wonder if it's a, a reference back to the te- the tabernacle and the temple and the lampstand, mm. which was the the light of Israel, and whether it's Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus referring to himself as Israel's light.
1: Again, you know. How, I'm not, not sure how you answer that question. Do you, you know, in verse 21, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? It's like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Probably not. I guess not. Mm-hmm. No, no. It just means, you know, kind of, that's something that's very foreign to us. We flick the switch and the light comes on. Mm. But I guess you don't put the light under, well, you, you know, with a lampshade, it's kind of a bowl, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but it's not stopping the light from shining. No, true. It's
1: focusing it, I It's guess. focusing it.
0: Yeah. Mm. So what is the Lord Jesus saying about himself and the kingdom here?
1: Well, yeah, this is what God is doing, isn't it? Instead of don't you put it on its stand, this is what God is doing. Uh, and this there will be a time when uh, you as God's people in the kingdom will do this too, that you will let that light shine out of you because what is God going to do? He's going to give each of us his spirit and we are the little lamps mm. kind of running around and that, mm. that's what we're going to be. We're going to be these lamps shining forth, the gospel shining forth the kingdom of God around us.
0: Yeah, and Israel is going to be a light to the nations and all that sort of thing. Well,
1: they're all meant to be, but you, well, know, then, kind of, you have points of, yeah, in, yeah, in the yeah, Old yeah. Testament where yeah, you yeah. do have that, don't you?
0: Yeah, that's right. How is the measure in verse 24 connected with wisdom and hearing Jesus then?
1: With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. It's about judgment, isn't it? You're kind of how you judge... That's how it's going to be judged upon you. And then even more, consider carefully what you hear. You know, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. You know, kind of this idea that in judgment, how I judge others, and kind of in my, particularly my self-righteousness, that measure is going to be used against me.
0: Mm. Okay, now to the second parable in verses 26 to 29 of Matthew chapter 4. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Okay, how does this parable, Ian, expand on the earlier parable about the seed?
1: Well, obviously, if you've got seeds again and you've got you know, it going in the ground and which would be very, you know, for the people that are, that are sitting, sitting there hearing this, you know, it, would, it would kind of be something that they understand. You know, it's an agricultural kind of theme and, um, you know, to them, it's, it's something that they, that they get.
0: Mm. Yeah, who will put the sickle in and eventually judge the harvest?
1: Well, it's going to be Jesus himself and not, not from this passage, but from other passages, we know that, you know, he's the one coming back to do that very thing, uh, to bring judgment, but also the the consummation of all history.
0: Mm. Okay, we come to the final verses, uh, verses 30 to 34, and the parable of the mustard seed. I always love this parable. It's beautiful. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. It's interesting that they are on the Beside the sea, on the land, so they're like they're 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 like they're planted as in the soil, aren't they? And listening to him, he's actually he's actually in a boat and he's sitting in the on the sea, which is associated. The sea is always associated with the Gentiles, and Israel was always associated with the land. But um, anyway, what's the significance of the fact that Jesus uses the mustard seed here?
1: Well, particularly, you know, Jesus says, you know, it's a smaller seed that you plant in the ground. Now, people kind of they lose it because that Jesus says it's a smaller seed, because it's not actually the smaller seed. You know, Jesus should have known better. You know, kind of or yeah, you know, kind of, people get very upset with this verse uh, and say Jesus clearly wasn't God because if he was God he would have been he would have known that. Uh, that's not the point at all <laughs> here. It's so small, it's tiny. And this is I think this is it shows the beauty of the gospel, it shows the beauty of the kingdom of God. That the idea is something very small, something very ordinary, something that you would almost dismiss. Uh, but once it's implanted and starts to grow, you see how huge it is it's massive it's just kind of it covers everything and then you you go, "Wow, this is what I'm a part of this is beautiful
0: mm. What was a mustard seed anyway Rito do we know Does anybody actually know
1: you, uh, well I th- think it was just a it's a seed from a mustard tree isn't it is it okay? I, I right. think so. Is that what he's referring no, to? Mm. Now you've got me all defensive. <laughs> no, no, no don't, don't be defensive about it. No, no. I think I think, I think it, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just for, for yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's not a, it's not a huge tree. It's not you know kind of like a huge maple or anything like that. It's just or an oak. Or, it's just it is a huge kind of bushy kind of plant thing. That yeah.
0: How is the Lord Jesus drawing on the Old Testament here?
1: I don't know. I saw that question. No, it wasn't oh, well, like I'm, I'm
0: sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm thinking back to, I've just been doing, we've just been doing Daniel with Alistair Roberts and we were talking about this and uh, Daniel four, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, how he's compared with the... The this, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar is compared to this great tree, tree and all the yeah. birds, were, the 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 nations were supposed to come. He was yeah. supposed to be God's tree. He's supposed to grow in wisdom, uh, have the be like a, a, have knowledge of good and evil. Uh, he's supposed to be a God's ruler and a place of solace for the nations and for the Jewish people. And he, and he, and he he's he's got to learn how to be a tree. Now, I think also it's also a reference back to I think something in Ezekiel, but I can't remember where. But certainly Daniel four. Jesus picking up on this idea of, uh, and I suppose his now Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God will be the, the place where, where people gain rest and succor and all that stuff. Yeah, and that, that's implanted in each of us as well, mm. isn't it? And it's, is that, it's inside of us, yeah, rather than being a, a na- particular nation. nation yeah. Mm, mm, I guess so. So what did the Lord Jesus come into this world for then? Well, to
1: plant, plant this, <laughs> ultimately, you know, kind of to be this. And this is, I think, the thing that we're seeing in Mark is that he... Is the Prince come into the world uh, to claim back the kingdom of God and let it spread on this earth? He's kind of there here to to plant these seeds everywhere so that they can start to germinate and start to grow, uh, and he does that in people through the Spirit. And you know, kind of obviously, that's further along in the story, but he's come to reclaim the kingdom of God, and you know, through these three little parables, he's just giving us a hint of what the kingdom is going to look like.
0: And we saw, uh, I think in the first episode of what we were talking about, Mark, we, we compared Jesus with a new Adam. And I, I I'm, can't help but be struck by all this gardening imagery and tree planting imagery that surely there is a reference here back to the Lord Jesus as a second Adam, as the Adam who really will plant the right seeds on the earth yeah. and, and guard God's garden and build the build the kingdom of God on earth. Is Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, definitely. So it's the kind of the fruitful and
1: multiply kind of thing, but it's um, rather than it being through blood relatives and you know, kind of a, a physical kind of space, um, that it becomes well at least you know, kind of in or or a space that's limited, it becomes bigger and kind of greater than that.
0: Mm. All right, then. Thank you, uh, the Reverend Ian Reed, Rido of Kings Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And uh, next time, Rido, we're going to come on and look at one of my favourite parts. I mean, I, do, I love the whole Gospel of Mark, but one of my favourite parts is this the passage about Jesus calming the storm. It's so so good, isn't it? Oh, it's awesome. And you had a special painting that uh, you showed us in church when you preached on this, so we'll talk about that next time too. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, as always, thank you. Thanks, Brent. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.